Hey, hope you're doing well. I, uh, I'm in the office on Monday, and of course TJ isn't here on Mondays, so um, it's an easy day just to catch up on email, and I actually got a couple where uh, they asked for me to record something. Um, before I get into a, a couple of these emails, just a couple things to say. One is, anytime you write me, just call me Jeffrey. I understand. Yes, I'm a pastor, and there are titles that apply, but um, I don't know. I just identify, identify more with Jeffrey than Pastor Rickman or whatever. Uh, secondly, I'm a big picture guy. I'm like a theology history guy. I'm not a process details guy. I try to be, uh, and you see my best attempts at that, but um, I've had a number of people contact me wanting like expertise on um, maneuvering through a convoluted disaffiliation process or understanding particulars around disciplinary uh, book of discipline stuff. I'm really not your Huckleberry for that. Um, if you are struggling with like procedural stuff, it's good to look up who the head of the WCA is in your area and seek out their expertise or just join a network of conservative clergy in your area that belong to the United Methodist Church or Global Methodist Church. Right now, there's still a lot of overlap. Um, but yeah, you're, you're going to want something that's regionally particular and where you've got a procedural nerd, um, which is not me. I'm, I'm, I'm more big picture. Um, so I have two two emails that I'm going to address today. One that's kind, and one that's that's not. Uh, I mean, he's not mean in the second one. He just he's he's not a fan with kind of what I'm becoming, and um, so I'm going to acknowledge that and, and try and be like I don't know fair in how I address that. But the first one, uh, I, I printed this one out, and then I'm going to read the other one off my screen because it was really long and I didn't want to print it out. And I'm not going to read that whole long one. I'm just going to read some key details. But anyway, this one is from, um, well, I'll just start at the beginning. For several weeks now, I've been enjoying uh, Plain Spoken. Thank you for speaking up. I'm the chairman of the SPR committee for the church I serve in, in the town he names. So many things I'd love to share with you, but we are in the beginning stages of voting on disaffiliation. Sorry, that's my kid yelling in the other room. <laughs> um, we polled the congregation on whether we should begin those proceedings, and 95% of those responding indicated they believed we should disaffiliate from the UMC. Nobody's surprised, especially since I'm probably looked upon as the most liberal member of the church, and in my mind, there's no question we've got to get out. So, offer a little prayer for us as we proceed. My concern is what comes after disaffiliation. I'm personally adamant that we should then affiliate with another church of the Wesleyan tradition, whether it be the GMC or the Wesleyan church. I don't think any others would be practical. Unfortunately, this is where the real disagreement in my church is going to occur. We have a very strong personality, maybe even a bully who wants us to remain independent and change some of our foundational theology. Um, so I'm going to stop there for a minute because there are two things. One is this conversation about if it's okay to remain an independent church or if you should join a denomination. And I don't expect that everybody's watched all my videos, but several months ago I interviewed a buddy of mine, James Lambert, where we talked about this topic. And and uh, he and I are of the same mind. Uh, well, and I'm just going to speak for myself here that um, a lot of the Bible, especially the New Testament, becomes unrecognizable whenever we are imagining 
local churches that are unconnected from each other because that's just not the biblical model. That's not what we see in the beginning. And true, we have some unique challenges that they didn't have in the beginning, but they had challenges that we don't have in the beginning. So the call to unity is something that's core and key to the gospel. And just because we're in the midst of a, a time of disaffiliation does not mean that we need to baptize disaffiliation as holy or that we um, can participate in the lie that Jesus is just fine not being the church Catholic. Um, we're called to be in communion and covenant together, and if you become like this regionally specific standalone lone wolf entity, I just think that's biblically unrecognizable. Now, that's not to say after disaffiliation you can't have a period like that. Both churches I serve are currently not affiliated with a Wesleyan body, but um, as long as I'm pastor here, I'm going to be pushing them to go through this discernment time and to affiliate with a larger Methodist Wesleyan body. Now, the particular one I don't feel as strongly about, um, Wesleyan Church was one of the things this guy mentioned. Wesleyan Church um, has a trust clause prerequisite for that reason. It's just not in the realm of possibilities for my churches. I just interviewed a guy from the Congregational Methodist Church that I could imagine a lot of churches being very happy within the Congregational Methodist Church. Global Methodist Church, of course, is a natural option, but there's also the Association of Independent Methodists. There's also the Evangelical Methodist Church. Uh, I'm hopefully going to be doing interviews with with a number of people in those bodies. Um, the, the second issue here is how to navigate the challenge of uh, having good church conversation after you've disaffiliated. Um, just because you have made a good decision in disaffiliating from the United Methodist Church does not mean that you have an ideal church or that everything is is great. In fact, I think a lot of churches are going to spin out and splinter after these things because uh, uh, just because you have a shared no does not mean you have a shared yes. If you're saying no to the UMC, that doesn't mean that you agree on, say, sacramental theology or um, uh, the role of sin and judgment. I, there's so many areas of theology where individual believers disagree. And and what's really at issue here is how do church individual churches, church members, disagree with one another within the crucible of the local church? And if you do not have a good culture of talking about real things in a way that is mutually respectful— then your church, you need to focus that on that immediately because it doesn't matter what Wesleyan body you join. If you have a dysfunctional, abusive uh, uh, communication style as a church, you're, you're, you're done for. And that's not to say that you're going to close your church doors. There are lots of churches that maintain with the dysfun dysfunctional culture. I'm just saying you're not a biblically recognizable church if you were tolerating uh, dysfunction within the body. Like, that's not to say that there can be no dysfunction, but that is to say that your church has to have an immune system. And when there is an individual member of the church that's bulldozing other people, you have somebody coming in with the assumption, I feel strongly about X, therefore the whole church needs to conform to my strong feelings about X. That's, that's, that is not okay. Uh, you can't have members in the body who behave that way. It's just fine to feel strongly about something. It is not fine to imagine that because one person feels strongly about something that the whole body is obligated to operate around that. Um, the body is obligated only to the lordship of Christ Jesus, 
And hey, if what we feel strongly about conforms to that, great. Make sure you have the right spirit about it. As I'm going to get into in the second email, um, there are a lot of people who take the right stand, but in the wrong way. And the way we do things absolutely matters. Um, you can you can take the right stand in the wrong way and be on the wrong side of God. Um, so anyway, um, I, I would say that you need to figure out this bully personality before you figure out where you're going. They need to to step. They need to commit to to honoring other people in the body. I don't know what particular things this person has said, but um, your pastor or someone in leadership needs to speak to them and say, "Look, it's just fine that you have strong feelings, and a number of people here do. And I think we've heard yours, and we understand yours. There are a number of other people who are not as comfortable speaking. We're going to listen to them. We're going to work out a way forward that honors the the general will of the body." And we hope you'll be with us even if we don't go the way that you feel strongly about. We'd like to believe that your love of us means that you can tolerate decisions that are not uh, a perfect reflection of you and what you want. Um, And if they can't receive that, then uh, you've got an addition by subtraction uh, situation in your hands, which is to say uh, (laughs) that person shouldn't be in your fellowship if they can't honor other people and other voices in the body. But if they can, and they're just kind of an alpha personality, and they're kind of uh, brusque. You can you can tolerate that. Um, so just make sure that you you have the hard, awkward conversations rather than just being afraid and and operating around them. Um, okay, so going on with this email, I'm hoping you can offer some assistance on how to handle what comes next in upcoming broadcasts. Uh, the other request I would have is for Bible study materials. There is a longing in my church to have some Bible studies as well as other events to grow our understanding of serving God as well as growing our fellowship, but where to find appropriate material. We are currently working on a six-week study from Abing to Press that unfortunately uses the NRSV version of the Bible, enough said in parentheses. I want to find something more in line with traditional Methodism or uh, traditional Wesleyan theology for our next round. So I, I don't know how much of what I have to say on this is going to surprise you or upset you, but if you want to get back to the roots and foundations of Methodism and Methodist theology, you should not be looking at a curriculum or even a Bible study. You should be looking at reviving um, the class meeting in your church. And, of course, a, a great intro to this topic is the book called The Class Meeting by Kevin Watson. I highly recommend it. But, um, you know, every every Christian movement has the Bible, and the Bible is not only important, it's it's essential, but the thing that made Methodism distinct was um, that we not only knew our Bibles, but we practiced them. And the, the, the self-reflection that needs to be done in order to enact the Bible in our lives is in these small accountability discipleship groups, accountable discipleship groups. Um, what's happened in a lot of our churches is the, the Spirit has been uh, quenched People do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. The The reality of Scripture study is every individual member of the body of Christ should be doing it daily. It should be something that we automatically and naturally do when we're gathered together. And if you're not doing that, it's because um, something's off in your relationship with Christ and His church. So the question is, where do we start in that revival and setting things right? And I would say the starting point is not in any curriculum. It's in the dynamic of gathering together 
for accountable discipleship in small covenant groups. I feel strongly about those groups being gender segregated because I've noticed in my own context, men don't share well in front of women and vice versa. Um, but if you've got people that are not interested in being vulnerable in that sense, then no amount of scripture is going to help them. Because once again, the question is, what is biblically recognizable? And people who say they love Jesus, but are not vulnerable to one another, that that doesn't fit together. That's not biblically recognizable. Um, the reality is when you follow Jesus, spiritual disciplines accompany your individual daily life. So all Christians are going to read scripture on their own and together. All, 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 all Christians are going to pray uh, alone and together. And then practicing self-denial, especially fasting. That's something that we need to reclaim um, that, that should naturally flow out of a healthy Christian faith life. And so when you have these accountability groups established, then you can get everybody reflecting on their daily disciplines and spiritual practices. And then that will naturally lead into scripture and bringing that to the group and implementing that in your lives. But without those small group accountability uh, groups, I'm very pessimistic about what level you can experience, not just the form, but the power of righteousness. I'm very pessimistic about the level of transformation or conversion you're going to see in individual members. I just know too many Christians that spend a lot of time reading their Bibles, but are just not able to apply it to themselves. You have to watch over one another in love. You have to have other people that are looking at you and going, how do you read your Bible and still say X or do do Y? Um, so I would, I would dissuade you against thinking a curriculum is going to help you. I would encourage you much more to think about creating um, new social dynamics in your church. Um, finally, I especially enjoyed your interview with Neil Stevenson. It was nice to hear his side of the story and then the explanation of the Methodist stance on so many things that were in question. I especially enjoyed what little there was about uh, the Free Will Baptist Church and the history of the two denominations. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. You were uh, That interview got a lot of flack. There were a lot of people who really did not like my giving him a platform to, to talk about other sacramental theology or how I was able to validate him as a brother in Christ, even whenever we believe differently on that stuff. I'll tell you, I really don't appreciate the intolerance of Methodists for people who are not Methodists. You know, I, I find it very unhelpful when Methodists scoff at others for, how can you not baptize babies or how can you not acknowledge female clergy? Like Methodists get really snooty sometimes. And we need to understand that like we're one branch of a much bigger tree. And just because we have clarity on something does not mean it's obvious. Sometimes it becomes very clear that some of us are hanging out in echo chambers. I intentionally put that out to invite you out of the echo chamber. And the fact that so many responded, la, 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 uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't speak well of you. Um, so I, I would urge you to more intentionally seek out voices that don't this, that don't agree with you because what is the quality of your personal belief if it can't stand other voices in dialogue with it? So anyway, I'm glad that, that this guy enjoyed it. Um, if, if you have people of other religious traditions that you think that I should uh, talk with, I'm, I'm very happy to pe talk to people outside of that. I, I think that would be really useful for some people, but that's not my main thing right now. All right, I wanted to spend a little time with another guy who write, wrote me. This guy is Michael, and uh, he started off with some kind of harsh words, but um, he, he, he had a good spirit, largely, So, um, and I, I think he lifts up some good stuff. So 
um, he begins, I've listened to every one of your podcasts, which that's amazing. I, I find that I agree with less and less of your opinions as your bias shows more and more. That is not a critique of your belief, just a statement of fact. I have listened to you for information, but your latest video on the Alabama West Florida Bishop statements about how Satan has his hands on disaffiliation is more about how you took his statements instead of actually reading what he said. Um, I'll come back to that, but he, he says, I'm going to share a story of my church. The devil was definitely at work, and like the devil does, he was working on both sides. So we're not going to go over the whole story. I'll, I'll read some of his story to you, but the, the larger thing that he's focusing on is uh, when I started this, I was still under the authority of a, of a hostile United Methodist bishop and cabinet that had already, you know, they called me into the office very early on in this, and so I, I had to couch things very gently, very carefully, although I still said a ton of things that I'm surprised didn't get me in trouble. As I've gotten loose, I, I've gotten more loose, um, and that's, I haven't wanted to be dishonest about it. I've, I've been very clear, you know, he'll, he'll make reference to it here in a little bit. Whenever I, uh, interviewed Bishop Scott Jones, I said that I'm a propagandist, you know, I have, I have a, a bent, I have an agenda. My agenda is, um, helping, um, authentic Wesleyan, uh, conservative theology and ecclesiology flourish. I, I want it to be robust. I want it to be, uh, strong and, and I want to be a mouthpiece for it insofar as I'm useful. Um, and if that makes me biased, I mean, absolutely, it makes me biased. Does that mean that the things I say are false? I don't think so. Does it mean that um, I am uncharitable? I think that the larger accusation here is that I was uncharitable to Bishop Graves based on my theological slant. And I actually don't think I'm being uncharitable, but what I would agree with is that I didn't do the legwork to show why I reached the conclusions that I did. I did some of that legwork, but a lot of it is just looking at the things that Bishop Graves said before and then what's actually happening happening now. Um, and and I, I did not put the time and the energy into it that I did, uh, that I should have, and I, I feel kind of badly about that, and I might follow up on that. I've done three reports on that conference now, which um, I don't usually do that much. Um, but even so, you know, I think there are a lot of people who still believe in this notion of dispassionate, neutral media reporting on things, and I, I just don't believe in that. I, I think that even when you look at the heyday of news media in America, there is always a bias. And the real dangerous thing is when you don't know what it is, and they are just presenting the facts that they're presenting to you as though they are neutral. And really, there's always going to be bias in what facts you present what language you use to present them, how much time you give to any given concept, and those things have power in it. They, they speak loudly, but most people don't know enough about any given situation in order to step outside of it and say, hmm, this this interlocutor is, is spending more time on this than on this. And so that's why I think it's good to have people that are unabashedly biased, like me, who just say, here are my, my, my values and what I'm going to stick to Here's what you can count on me for. And I hope I've been faithful to you in that way. I hope also, I mean, one of my values is the Rogerian method. I think you have to understand people that you correct. Um, and so I, if you haven't seen, I, I did a, uh, an interview with, um, heck, what was his name? Drew Enns, a very far left progressive activist in Virginia. Um, and I was able to have a good conversation with him and I think articulate 
the things that he believed and why. But the thing is, even when you understand something, that doesn't mean you agree with it. And so what I hope I show is it's possible to understand something and still vehemently disagree and object to it. Um, so I, I, I think I understand the forces that are at play in um, Bishop Graves' area. And I just think that, that he and his leadership are making wrong, bad decisions. Um, I don't want to, um, if I'm drawing connections that aren't there, of course, I, I want to be called out on it. But if the notion is that I cannot speak clear condemnation on courses of action or ways of being in relationship, uh, otherwise I'm biased, I just fundamentally disagree with that. And he doesn't say that, but I have to like reckon with, okay, what's the difference between how I was and the way that I am now? And I, I don't see a lot of difference other than, you know, I'm, I'm just speaking very, well, I don't know. I think I spoke that clearly before, so I guess I just need to hear Michael talk more. Um, I'm going to read one paragraph out of his account, if you're curious about how Satan was present on both the left and the right in his congregation as they went through disaffiliation. Uh, they hosted a, a global Methodist church speaker, and he said, it was nothing like the presentations that I've seen the GMC give on YouTube. I know you're now a member of that group. That's why I'm sharing this part. After spending much time on human sexuality and insinuating that the UMC is moving, removing the Trinity, the deity of Jesus, and the holiness of the Bible from the church, they then began selling the church on how much money you save by joining the GMC. It's like a timeshare pitch. Now, I know there are definitely issues with these subjects and parts of the UMC, but the GMC person presenting this was not very kind to the UMC, a denomination that's been very good to the state I live in. Our preacher, um, who's very loyal to, to the denomination, he had showed no partiality before this. He was very offended by what the presenter said and became very agitated. He probably should have held his emotions better than he did, but he listened all he could. His relationship with the group wanting to disaffiliate immediately deteriorated. The devil was there that night. Uh, he, he details a lot more events where people that I would say were on the right side wanting to leave the United Methodist Church, they behaved wrongly. And so I, if I've ever given the indication that I think, uh, I think there's a right and a wrong side in this, but I don't think everybody on the right side is Right. In fact, you know, I've had this whole series called Bitter Medicine where I'm correcting people on the right for ways in which they have failed to practice what they preach. Lack of integrity, lack of thoughtfulness, lack of bravery. Um, I, I, I've tried to show that I have integrity in that way of acknowledging the weakness and lack of integrity on my own side. Uh, even so, I still think there's a right and wrong of this. And I, I think that might be the thing that frustrates a lot of people about me is I, I clearly have time and energy for nuance and understanding different things. But the thing that's different about me from a lot of people is I don't do the both sides thing. I, I think that even though things are hairy and messy and complicated, generally there's usually a right and a wrong of any given situation. Um, and I, I don't stay away from that. Um, I think a lot of people just have a fundamental like baseline belief that it takes two to tango, their life is gray, and you just have to land somewhere in the messy middle. And I, I don't agree with that. And so that, that I th is what I suspect is what frustrates and will continue to frustrate people about me. Now, I can acknowledge, uh, you know, like the, the Neil Stevenson interview. Like I, I came down on the side of like, he shouldn't have been in a United Methodist pulpit. He should not be in any Wesleyan pulpit. He just doesn't hold Wesleyan beliefs. Um, that doesn't change how the the district acted weirdly. The superintendent 
said and did some things that I don't think make much sense. But even so, uh, that was a right and wrong situation there. Um, I, and I, I think this is how adults have to be. They have to take the different things into account and make a decision. They have to do what they can to understand complicated things, and then they have to to stand where they stand. And I really am of the stance that um, as as flawed and corrupt and weird as conservatives have been, liberals are the group that entered into a covenant body with no intention of upholding the covenant. Um, and even if some upheld the covenant, or a lot upheld the covenant along the way, they were tolerant of those who didn't. And they insisted on making room for those who didn't. So, you know, as GMC, you know, as this GMC, if he said they're going to change the doctrine of the Trinity and the divinity of Christ, then he's wrong. They're almost certainly not going to change those. The problem is is not what's in writing. The problem is that they don't enforce or defend what's in writing, and they are tolerant of voices that scoff at that. They obviously don't think those things are as important as conservatives do because conservatives say, hey, if you don't believe these things, you're not a Christian. Liberals say, hey, you know, I believe these things, but you don't have to. We can still be in fellowship together. And that indifference to those doctrines is what separates us. Even if you personally confess them, if you won't defend them, then what good is that 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 belief? You know, that that obviously doesn't mean the same to you. Um, I could talk on that forever, but I'm going to move on. Um, he says at the end of his first correspondence, if your opinions about the UMC come to fruition, I will have some decisions to make. But be careful of your tone. I've watched every one of your plain spoken videos, and from my view, you're starting to try to read meaning into what you present instead of just sticking with facts. The devil is working on both sides of this process. I read nothing from the bishop from uh, Alabama West Florida's comments that blame the disaffiliators. I see him upset with the situation the church is in. As I stated above, the devil's definitely involved. Now, the, the thing I didn't say before that I would say now is there is absolutely nothing wrong with calling disaffiliation demonic or evil or wicked. I think we all agree that it would be. The problem that I and others have is where was that passion, where was that condemnation when we had people sowing the seeds of dissension and resentment inside of the church by disrespecting our doctrine and discipline. There, I, I don't recall Bishop Graves ever having harsh words for activists in the church upending our doctrine and discipline or for bishops being put in place that have no bishop, uh, no, no business being a bishop. You know, there are a number of things that led to this point that were awful and evil and demonic. And where was that language then? Now you finally have people that have just gotten fed up and they're leaving and that's the situation that deserves condemnation. It just it seems disingenuous to imagine that um, that his strong words here can be received dispassionately, or like they're not showing his hand where he is. It just seems silly to entertain that. Um, well, I don't know. It's like the holy hex prayer thing. This all fits within a certain institution institutional mentality where we all just have to sit and take the crap that is tolerated by the people that shouldn't be tolerant of it, and the the one thing you can't do is leave. And that's just a cage match. Nobody wants that. You know, if you insist on making a fight, I'm just going to walk away. Um, and that's that's most conservatives. You know, we're not here to fight. We're here to glorify Jesus. And, you know, liberals said that they agreed with that until they looked at losing money and institutional power and clout, and now they're willing to just tear apart anybody who wants to go. It's just, it's, it's disingenuous. Come on. Um... Michael and I, we, I, I like him and I appreciate him reaching out to me like this. And I'm really humbled that anybody would watch all of my stuff. Um, 
And I, I want to encourage Michael and people like you to continue watching me, even if you disagree with me, even if you're not in the same place as me. Hold me accountable if my tone does change, you know, has changed. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. I'm going to try and keep an eye on it. I never want to be just like a, an echo chamber, partisan, uh, unreflective person. But uh, so as I'm reflecting on that, I would just ask you to reflect on your presuppositions as you come to me about what is acceptable and helpful discourse in the midst of all this. Um, I've talked way too much on all this, so I appreciate uh, everybody who writes me and is thinking through this stuff with me. Um, let's continue praying for a peaceful disaffiliation process and a bright future for those who uh, know and glorify and love Christ as he desires to be known and glorified and loved. I got to go on with my day, so I hope you do too. Thanks for spending time with me. Thanks for supporting the project of Plain Spoken. Um, I'll, I'll put out something tomorrow or the next day. All right, take care.